Good morning, happy Easter. Uh, my name is Mike Balzer, and I have the privilege of being the minister for the Burlington Church of Christ. Uh, I get to work alongside <clears throat> an incredible leadership team, which uh, which includes my beautiful wife and uh, three other and three other amazing couples. You know, it's my pleasure to preach this morning, but I'm not going to be the only one speaking during the sermon this morning. What? Gasp. No, I'm actually going to have two other members come up and share uh, briefly just from their own testimony of how God is, has been working in their lives. And so, for us, through, through the beginning of this year, one of the things that we've been doing is, uh, well, at the beginning of this year, we had a discussion amongst our leadership team of kind of what, our, what we wanted to focus on as a church. And the conclusion that we came to was that we really needed to focus on love. And so the question, that question became our theme, which is, what is love? Right? And, and with this immensely broad topic, we've set up to handle that for a year, not like six months or, you know, anything like that, which six weeks or six months, which neither of those are enough. Neither really is a year because all of us will spend the rest of our lives, really, trying to understand what is love in the scope, truly, of who is God. You know, I've made two points uh, for myself to try to keep in mind as we go through these series. One, as, is, as the Apostle John said in 1 John 4, verse 8, he says that God is love. And, and so, because of that, in light of the first thing, the second thing I try to keep in mind is that as we go through this series, we should really, I should be really striving to illuminate who God is. Because right? if, I'm, if I'm talking about what is love, and God is love, then I'm really just talking about who is God. Right? And so, with that, we've, been, we've spent the last two and a half months, I would say, going uh, in some form or fashion through 1 Corinthians 13, as, as God lists out love. And, and if you've got a Bible, I'm going to read that really quickly for you. It's 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. And this is what, just one section of what it says love is. It says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That's how the scripture reads. And, and so, this morning, the title of this morning's sermon is, Love Never Fails. Amen. That's where we're going to be this morning. And, and I've got two points for you. Point one is, God's love is transformational. Point two is, God never fails. Right, but my goal is to encourage you with this truth, that love never fails. If you've got a Bible, please turn over to Luke 24. This will sound pretty familiar, considering Peter just read a parallel scripture in Matthew, which is encouraging when, you know, the apostles agree on some of the things that happened, right? But in, in Luke 24, <coughs> starting in verse 1, 
This is, this is after Jesus has been crucified, has been laid in the tomb, and he has been there, right, this is the third day. So he died on, on a Friday, and then he rose on a Sunday. And so, on verse 1 of chapter 24, it says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away by the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you? While he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back uh, from the tomb, they told all the things to the eleven and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. Peter, however, got up, ran to the tomb, bending over. He saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself, what had happened? You know, in love never fails. Today, we, we celebrate. Easter is it's a celebration. It's the greatest celebration of the greatest triumph of all time. Yeah. It's the greatest triumph of love of all time. Because we celebrate that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to die for humanity. And this was all done so that we could have victory over sin and death. But not just through Jesus' death, it was also through his resurrection. Right? If you're here today, it's to celebrate this truth. That that we believe, we hold to this fact that we believe that a man died for days and then was resurrected again. We we hold to this truth that Jesus' tomb was empty, not because somebody stole the body, but because He received life again. God raised him up. You know, there are those who think that this is nonsense. Even the apostles thought this was nonsense when they first were hearing about it. Right? I mean, that's what the scriptures tell us. That they heard Mary, Mary Magdalene, Mary who was the mother of James, who was actually the mother of Jesus. You, you see all of this, and these women are coming and they're saying, this is what we saw, this is what we've seen. And they're like, this is nonsense. What are you talking about? He's dead. Peter runs to the tomb. He gets there. And he's going, what is, what is going on? Right? Now, obviously, April Fool's didn't exist right there, but that was a pretty good one. But the joke wasn't really on them. The joke was on Satan, really. Right? Him thinking, I got rid of that guy. I did. 
ha, joke's on you, you know? The reality is, is no, Jesus, Jesus came back through the power of God, through the promise of God, because of God's love for humanity. You know, Jesus would reveal himself soon enough and open the eyes and the minds of the disciples to the scriptures. And, and ultimately, to God's love for them, of what the resurrection really meant. You know, then these men, these, these men and women, would take this message of this loving God, of a resurrected Messiah, to the world. And that this empty tomb would become a symbol of God's unfailing love. And how that love has changed the world. God's love has changed the world. As if we, if you think about our society, so many things we don't even consider that how the Christian faith shaped our world. I mean, hospitals and the Red Cross and, and, and so, many, so many things that began that we don't even begin to really consider how did they happen was because of Christians doing good in the world and, and laying some roots. I mean, it's, it's incredible to think about how God has changed this world, but He didn't just change it on the grand scale. See, God began, God's love was transforming people's lives one person at a time. Right? And this time, I'd like to have Devin come up and share a little bit about his own testimony. Thank you, Mike. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Devin Littlefield, and I've been a disciple for just under a year. Actually, uh, you know, specifically, it's been 252 days, 20 hours, 30 minutes, and a handful of seconds. But who's counting? Actually, you know, there is one person who's counting. God. He is rejoicing that I've finally joined him in the kingdom. And the path that I've taken to get here certainly has had its challenges. But it's been amazing as God's shown me his unwavering love. It was not too long ago that I was a man of the world with far different beliefs than I have now. Growing up, I, my parents chose to put a sing, they, my parents chose not to push a single faith or belief on me with the idea that I could grow up and choose my own. And while I love my parents and I respect that decision for the freedom and individuality, I think in, in some ways that set me up for not having any faith at all. That is where God inevitably would step in and provide me some direction. Growing up and get, going into adulthood without a single belief system, I was a man of the world doing great works, but feeling lonely. I didn't necessarily realize it, but I was missing something. I was missing God's love. Though I didn't know it, I often found myself missing it. I was attempting to replace this unrealized hole in my heart with things of the world, but it could only be filled with God's love. I'll spare you all of the details, but it wasn't pretty. It wasn't until that fateful day on February 10th, 2016, 
that God introduced me to my now lovely wife, Monica, into my life. That's when I started to see his light. It was God working through Monica that I began learning more about him and how he sent his only son, Jesus, to die for our sin because of his love for everybody. It was the exposure to this love that allowed me to grow and grow a relationship with him, specifically. Since then, I realized that God didn't just have a plan for everybody, or for humanity for that matter, but that he has a plan for me personally. And he has had one my entire life. There might have always been signs that I just either ignored or I missed, but once Monica came into my life, I realized that he has been there all along with open arms waiting for me to join him in the kingdom. That, of course, required a lot of change on my part. One example of an area that took significant growth was the idea of how I viewed relationships. In a previous life, I believed that there was the right woman out there for me. That it is to say a relationship that wouldn't require any change or on my part. Boy, was I wrong. (laughs) Through Monica and many of you here within our church, and most importantly, with God, I've learned that there is no such thing as the right person. Everyone needs to grow as an individual. The most important person that needed to change in my relationships was me. I am the person that needs to change in order to have great relationships. But that led me to the question of how. I am changed in my response to God's unwavering love, which he has shown me through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's through Jesus' love and divinity and extreme humility and self-sacrifice at the cross. That love called me to a decision. Now, as a husband and a disciple, I still find myself making the decision to change on a regular basis. One of the most important tools that God placed into my tool belt is the knowledge of his love. All change is a decision of the mind in response to his love. It is through my decisions that will lead to the greatest life, like deciding to become the best husband I can possibly be through, uh, through Jesus' example. It's like deciding to not let sinful nature enter or rule my mind or heart because of God's love or deciding that there is nothing else I'd rather believe in or love more than God. But why? Because he poured his love on me through Jesus. I want to wrap up by saying that it is through God's unwavering and unfailing love that we get to join him in the kingdom and be transformed into the best versions of ourselves that we can possibly be. And that every decision that we ultimately make is in response to his love and gratitude for us. 
I'm so extremely grateful that God introduced Monica into my life and has shown me his love through Jesus. I certainly wouldn't be the man that I am today. A man that's out for God's heart and continuously changing in response to his love. Thank you. Thanks, Devin. You know, it's, it's interesting to me when you consider how God has changed us, has transformed us. You, you know, I, I know of people saying, I never want to get married because divorce is just around the corner. Right? Never want to have kids because I don't want kids to have to deal with that. You, we think about the, the people's lives that have changed. Even in the Bible, we look at the pictures of Mary Magdalene, a woman who was a prostitute, who then became this incredibly righteous woman that would follow Jesus around uh, for the rest of her life, serving God, serving God's people. You know, we think of who we once were, how God has transformed us, how God has changed us. You look at the Apostle Paul, when Paul said he was a man who would condone the murder of others. I mean, you see his, his zeal and his passion, which were awesome, but he was so on the nose on his religion. He was absolutely perfect when he says, I lived according to the law. And yet, then, all of his writings as disciples, as a Christian, deal with grace and mercy. And, and calling others out of kind of the lifestyle that he himself lived, knowing that he was transformed. And what changed him? It was Jesus. We think of ourselves, what's changed? What's changed you? How has God changed your life? That's really what we want to be reflecting on, sharing, celebrating today, because the cross transforms. The resurrection gives hope that we can continue to change, right? And I think that's amazing. God's love does continually transform us, and it will continue to transform the world because there is no love like the love of God. People may lead us astray out of, out of their sense of love with the, most, with, with the best and most respectable intentions. Believing they love us can lead us astray. But God's love will never fail us. And that leads me into point two, which is God never fails. God never fails. You know, putting never in a sentence is almost never a good idea. Why? Because people like me will try to poke holes in it. Uh, and we typically can. What about this? And what about that? Or what about this? You know... So saying that God never fails will have all the skeptics get their pins out. Get ready. Right? But it's, it's not just skeptics. It's also anyone who has had an enduring challenge in their life. Who, who has had to really deal with something very hard. Because it's in those moments that you're going, Why? This is so bad. How is this not failing? Anybody, can anybody relate? Right? And so maybe it's been you. Maybe it's someone you know. Maybe it will be you. And all the more reason why this conviction of knowing that God never fails should be on our hearts. You know, at different times, people can feel this 
as though God had failed them or is failing them or the world. Right? You might feel like, why are these terrible things happening? God is failing us. But understanding that love never fails and that God never fails means that even in the depths of trials, we know that there's hope, that there's some plan that's working, that just we don't get it yet. Right? You know, if you took a picture, right, of Jesus on the cross, and I'm realizing now I... I'm doing this as if I was using a phone. In the old days, you know, you'd use a camera. But uh, if you just took a picture of Jesus on the cross, in that moment, what would you see? You would see a man who was, had been beaten to the end of his life. Naked, bleeding, humiliated, totally disgraced. People standing there mocking him. If you were to sit there and look at that picture, you would go, Wow. That guy is failing right now. Right? I mean, that's what you would think. That's what I would think. I'm like, that, that, there's no coming back from that. You know? And, and, but here it is, Jesus on the cross, and if you're going, how is, I mean, and he's being mocked while on the cross. The, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers, they're all going, you know, if he's really the Son of God, let him come down. If God's really with him, let him be saved. All of these things. They're mocking him in that moment. And if you took a picture of that moment, you would think God had failed him. Right? But and, and if, you, if you consider... Then the moment of they take him up, he dies. He dies on that cross. And then they take him off of that cross and they bury him in a tomb. And he's been there. After 24 hours, you're like, no, he's, he's, he's actually dead. He's really dead. I mean, besides the fact they just stabbed him in the heart, right? He's dead. Wow, God failed him. And God would have failed him if that's the way it stayed. But that's not how it stayed, right? God had a plan beyond what the people expected and could even understand at that time. If it had stayed that way, the skeptics would have been right. You would have been right if you had thought that. But God's saying, that's not my plan. You know, God brought Jesus back. Why? To give us a hope of a resurrection. To bring Jesus back first so that we could be next. And that's incredible to think about. So, where are you right now in your trials or challenge? Maybe what are some you've been in? Or you think of that person that you know who's really struggling that goes, there is no God. There's no way there's a God. There's no way there's a God because of all the suffering that goes on in the world. And yet, we're looking at it in that moment apart from the broader plan right and God's got a plan God's got a plan he's had a plan for Jesus and he's got a plan for us as well at this time I actually want to get Crystal to go ahead and come up and share a little bit about her life and her own testimony hey everybody I'm not going to put my professor voice on. I'm going to keep it neutral. So um, many of you know my name is Crystal Brown. I live in Middlebury. 
I'm a commuter, churchgoer. Um, so uh, I was actually baptized around seven years ago in Harlem. And uh, seven years ago was when my mother came to visit me in, in New York, in Yonkers at the time. And she was from North Carolina, and it was Easter. And I said, somebody better tell me where I take my mom to church. And one of my dancers said, come to church with us. Um, and at that time, Gabe um, was about almost one. Um, and I had just separated from his father and had just been served with some serious court papers. And that day in church, I just felt like, oh, my God. What is happening to my life? And I had remembered that a few years before I had said, oh, I'm so tired of being Crystal Brown. Now, for some of you, you know my life and you follow it on Facebook and you look a little bit exhausting. Um, just so you know, in the last six days, I have been in four states. I will leave to go to Chicago tomorrow. And at one point, that exhaustion got so bad that I was wiped out. And I said, Lord, I just want to be normal. And at that time, I don't think I said, Lord, I think I said something like, um, I, just, I just want to be done with this. Um, and that was right before I had two normal years, which were the two worst years of my life. And Gabe was the best thing that came out of those two years. Um, and so the guiding principle that I think of, as my costume says, um, when I think about God's love, is the scripture in Romans 8.28, where it says, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. And it's not about God loving us, because he always loves us. But love requires exactly what Devin was saying, a decision to love back. And um, in terms of relationships and marriage, and when I think about even my parenting, it's a decision every day to look at this little person, to look at my students, to look at all the people I manage and supervise and supposedly inspire and encourage and teach, to love them, no matter where they are in their learning, no matter where I am in my fatigue level. Um, so when I think about all those things, I think about all the good, all the crazy, all the bad that's happened, but God having this overall picture of how it works together. So even when I can only see the next step, when I can only see the next flight, when I can only eat cheeseburgers in the airport, I think about, wow, there's something bigger that's happening and there's something that God is using this little girl from a little town where people stop to get a barbecue sandwich on the way to the beach to do all over the world. Um, and so when it, I think about what Mike asked me to share about in terms of God's love and his transformation, I thought about growing up in a family where provision was love. There were not a lot of hugs, not a lot of kisses, not a lot of encouragement. My mother parented on assumption, like you know, you know what's right, right? You better get it together, right? And so she, in that assumption, you rose to the occasion or you did not. And when you did not, you might get something like this, four pages long on your bed typed about what you did not do. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so for me, I was very clear about what the expectation was. As a performer, I'm often very clear about what the expectations are. My training as a dancer requires that I never think I'm right. I always have to think about another level of capacity and that there's never going to be an end. There's never perfection, right? Which is the life of a disciple. So when I tr gave my life back to God seven years ago, um, people thought, oh, it's gonna be hard for you. You're in this performance world. And I was like, I probably know discipline better than anybody in this room. 
Um, and it's not empty discipline, it's discipline for the sake of transformation. I have to go to class every day, I have to put my body through rigorous things, you know, I have to not, I have to deny myself constantly, which again, falls back in line with the parenting, right? It's not always what I want to do, sometimes I have to do what the kid wants to do, no matter how much, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, you understand now, yeah. Um, And so, thinking about the fruition of God's love and how that transformation continues to happen day by day, it gives me the courage to reorder my priorities and to think, what does Crystal want? What should be first today? And what's going to have the greatest impact on the people around me? So, that is how I'm trying to practice God's costume. That's how I'm trying to practice God's love in my life and actually it's something that I actually learned again when this idea of everything works together for God's good um, I was the first black child in our little town to integrate uh, what they called at the time academically gifted classes don't think I was probably the smartest but my mother was the most adamant as you can tell from <laughs> um, and so when I think about that transition when I was in second grade and I think about now being the first black woman at Middlebury to be tenured, all of those things, being first, being the only, has always been a part of God's plan for me. Um, Even at the most minuscule level, when I didn't even think it mattered. And when I hadn't made a decision to love him back. So, um, it gives me the courage to love him back, to love people, and then to just continue to try to own who I'm becoming every day. And thank you, Crystal. You know, it's, it, it's amazing just to think that God has a, had a plan for all of us, yeah. whether we knew it or not. And that there are times where God, God actually, I think, has a perfect plan, you know, and it doesn't mean that on that perfect plan everything's easy, but that when we stray off of it, um, we step into waters that are going to be even more tumultuous, where we've got nothing that's got our back. And for me, when I think of, of this idea of, of God has a plan that I don't know, I can't see it, but I believe that, that I, I believe there is a God, and that God, I know is a good God, how He's worked in my own life, how He's shown me that even through challenges and trials and different hardships that, that He comes out. And I've seen it not just in my life, but in the lives of other people as well. And many of us know that also. You know, this empty tomb, what we celebrate today, the celebration of this resurrection, it's about a promise of hope, a promise of a future. It's it's the promise that we're not going to, that in this life, this isn't all there is. And when we do it in God's way in this life, there is a lot great in this life. Even here and now, when we live out love, God's love doesn't fail in this world even. If we live out love, especially in this community, all the more, we're going to experience great things. Because love never fails. But in our own lives, when hardships come and challenges come, think back to the cross. Think back to Jesus right there and ask yourself, was Jesus failing? Was God failing Jesus? No, God wasn't failing Jesus. God God was 
working miracles. God was working something for you, especially. You know, at this time, we're going to take communion together. But I want you to consider this. That on that cross, that was a victory. That in the grave, it was a victory. And at the resurrection, that was a victory for you, for me, for all of us. And so when we consider for ourselves, what has Jesus done for me? How has He changed me? How has He loved me? Because ultimately it's that love that's transformed us. It's that love that will never fail us. It's that love that we reflect on as we take communion together. So today at this time what I want to do is I want to ask you to pray with me. But reflect on the cross. Reflect on Jesus. Reflect on what you've been given. So that we can celebrate this incredible promise that we have in Him. That there is a hope and a resurrection and a future for us all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for this time to be together. Thank you for your church. Thank you for the family that we have. Thank you for the opportunities that you've given us. Father, we, uh, we come before you and we take this bread and this cup and we remember Jesus. We remember what was the blood that was shed, the body that was, that was broken. We remember that it's a promise. It's a promise of love. Help us connect with you, Lord to reflect on you and to celebrate you today in all of our lives. We love you, God, and give thanks to you. In Jesus' name, amen.